We are going to be in Exodus chapter 3 today. Exodus chapter 3, and the children, as I mentioned, are, are going to be with us. Hopefully, kids, you have one of those clipboards with the children's bulletin. I'm so grateful uh, to Pastor Stephen and Valerie, who are on vacation today, celebrating their anniversary together. Uh, but I'm so grateful that before they left, they put together that children's bulletin. So here's, here's kids, here's the deal. I want you to, to pay attention this morning to the message. Hopefully, I won't bore you too much today, any of you, not just kids. Um, but uh, take some time, use your colored pencils, color on those bulletins, and then at the end of the service this morning... Uh, I'd like you to, to take, you can keep the bulletin, but we'd like you to bring the clipboard and the colored pencils back to the table out in the foyer. And I'll try to be out there as well. And if you can show me your bulletin and show me your picture, show me what you've colored or what you've drawn on there, I will give you one of my favorite pieces of candy this morning if you can share with me some of what you learned this morning as you worked through your bulletin. We are in Exodus chapter 3 today, and uh, it's on page 46 if you're using a pew Bible. And kids, again, if you, there's a portion in there where you can fill in the blanks in one of the scripture verses. You can find that uh, there on page 46 if you're using a pew Bible, and that will help you to fill in the blanks inside your bulletin. We're in chapter 3, but we have to remember what we've seen so far in chapters 1 and 2. There's a cycle, if you remember, a cycle of conflict and resolution that we have seen over and over, conflict and resolution, back and forth here in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. And it appears, it appears in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 that there's this battle going on uh, between Pharaoh, he's the, the bad guy that we have met a couple of different times. He's, he's, uh, he's oppressed and enslaved the Hebrew people. He has attempted to kill babies, especially the, the Hebrew boys. He has had all kinds of schemes in order to oppress God's chosen people. He's, he's the villain in the story. And as we turn to chapter 2, we began to see that there's this hero that's been being raised up. A hero who was, who was born in chapter 2, who was saved through his mother's efforts, put into, put into a, a, a basket and floated down the river. He, was, he cried out and was adopted and brought in to Pharaoh's own family through Pharaoh's daughter. And then as you continued on in chapter 2, he grew up 40 years past. And he grew up and looked out on his own people, connected with, resonated with God's people, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people. He connected with them. He saw their oppression. In fact, he actually saw uh, one of the slaves being beaten. And in empathy and compassion, even probably with a little bit of anger that was rising up in him, he strikes down that Egyptian. And then he's rejected by his own people. Who made you prince and ruler over us, they said. Pharaoh found out about the killing and all of a sudden Moses is running for his life. He flees out of Egypt. He runs out into the desert, into the Midian, the Midian area, into that desert and, and comes to a well and meets there with several daughters of the priest of Rule. We saw his, was his name there in chapter 2. Jethro is his, also his name we see in chapter 3. And the battle looks set. Moses is being raised up as the hero. Pharaoh is the evil villain. 
But at the end of chapter 2, we see that maybe it's not so much about Pharaoh and Moses, but it's more about God. Look at chapter 2 there. It ends with these verses in chapter 2. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. In verse 24, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard, and God remembered, and God saw, and God knew. This story that we're looking at through all of Exodus is not really about Pharaoh, and it's not really about Moses. It's not even really about the Hebrew Israelite people. This story is about God. God heard. God remembered. God saw, and God knew. Moses, as I've shared with you once, as he, as he is the author of, of Exodus, he wants the people who are hearing him share this, he wants them to remember these things, and he wants them to be able to look back and see that God, the God of creation, the God of Genesis, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God was working on their behalf even before they knew it. He wants them to be able to look back and to remember the way that God was working before their redemption, before their rescue. And I think he wants them to look forward. And that what, what's amazing about Scripture, what's amazing about the story of Exodus, as I've shared with you a couple times, is not only does Moses, do, do these stories help us to remember what happened there, but they point to something that's going to happen in the future. Moses, Moses doesn't know how all of that is going to work. He doesn't know what's to come in the future. But as we read these stories that we've just looked at in Exodus chapter 1 and 2, we remember, we remember a child who grew up in wisdom and stature and was about his father's business. We remember a prince who left the throne room and condescended to identify with an oppressed and enslaved people. We remember a rescuer who was rejected by his own people. Who made you the king of the Jews, they asked him. We remember a redeemer who was tempted and tried in the desert for 40 days. We remember a savior who felt alone and despised and forgotten and forsaken. We see how all of scripture points to the ultimate redemption of God's people. God, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus. The hero of the story is not Moses. It's not about Pharaoh. It's all about God, and that's who we see here in Exodus chapter 3. God makes his first appearance. Let's read together. In Exodus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen, I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I want to start, as we look at this passage, with what it doesn't tell us at the beginning of chapter 3. As, as, as I talked about last week in chapter 2, we, we start chapter 2 with, with this baby that's being born, and he's floated down the river, he's adopted into Pharaoh's family, and then we come to the next passage where it says he, he grew, and 40 years, 40 years passed just in that little window, that, that space between the lines in Exodus. 40 years have passed. 40 years where Moses grew up in Pharaoh's palace. 40 years where, where he learned all that he could through the Egyptian schooling. 40 years passed for Moses when he lived in luxury in the palace. And 40 years passed for the Israelites who were oppressed and beaten down and enslaved by the Egyptians. 40 years had passed. And Moses rises up, he connects with his people, he strikes down one of the Egyptians, he he's, flees for his life, he runs out to the desert in Midian, and then we come to chapter three. And again, the space between the lines that we have here in chapter, between chapters two and chapter three is another 40 years. You saw that on the screen this morning as Stephen shared the story in Acts chapter seven. Stephen the martyr says another 40 years has passed. Moses is now that baby that was born and put into the basket. He's now 80 years old. Another 40 years has gone by. A 40 years where Moses has been sent out to the desert. 40 years where he has, has been married, where he has children, where he wanders around and takes care of his father-in-law's sheep. 40 years where he has felt forsaken and forgotten and alone. And 40 years, another 40 years, where the Israelites, the Hebrews, have been beaten and enslaved. Another 40 years where the Israelites have been oppressed, where they, too, have felt forgotten and forsaken and alone. And it's not just... 40 years that they've been crying out for rescue. It's not even just 80 years that they've been crying out for rescue. 
The Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years. They were crying out for rescue. Over and over, year after year, generation after generation, they have prayed and pled and cried out and groaned. They have begged to be rescued for 400 years. And in those 400 years, you can imagine that they probably said, does God even hear us? Does the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, does he even see us? Does he even know what we're saying? Does he see where we are? Does he know how we're living? Does he hear our cries? It's been so long. It wasn't just the Israelites, I don't think, that feel that way. You and I have felt that way at times, haven't we? God, do you hear my prayers? I've prayed this for days, for weeks, for months, for years. I have prayed this for decades. I have prayed this for generations. God, it doesn't seem like you're hearing my prayers. It doesn't seem like you see me. It doesn't seem like you hear me. It doesn't seem like you know me. It doesn't seem like you remember me. Do you hear my prayers? It's here in Exodus chapter 3 where God makes his very first appearance that I think we have confirmation that he does, in fact, hear our prayers. That he does, in fact, see us and know us and remember us. He tells us that. He tells Moses that directly here in Exodus chapter 3. But he helps us to remember that we do want to continue to pray and continue to cry out and continue to plead and continue to look to our God, even when it feels like our prayers and our cries have not been answered. And I think we see several reasons why we can do that here in this scripture. Why can we continue to look and plead and pray and cry out to God? Because our God is like no other. And we'll see that as we walk through Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. He was a shepherd, wandering around, watching over the sheep in the wilderness. When he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God. This mountain is also Mount Sinai. Is, is it's either the same mountain or it's in the same mountain range together where the Israelites will return to this spot and God will speak to them as a group he comes to Mount Horeb, and on that day, an ordinary day, in the midst of an ordinary day, an extraordinary thing happens to Moses. A bush is caught on fire, which maybe wasn't all that extraordinary to Moses as he wandered through the desert taking care of the sheep, but on this day, the bush does not burn up. It continues to burn, but is not consumed, we read here in Exodus chapter 3. Moses writes, telling the story of what happened to him. And we see in the midst of this story that our God is a unique and unrivaled God. We have a unique and an unrivaled God. Our God does 
things that no other God does. There is no one like our God, we read in scripture. No one like our God. There is no other God like ours. He is unique. He is unrivaled. He is one of a kind. And scripture, not just here in Exodus chapter 3, but scripture is filled with all kinds of stories about God doing unexplained and unbelievable things. From Noah to Elijah to Jesus to Paul, we see all kinds of things in scripture that are unexplained. Storms that do not act the way that they should act. Donkeys that talk in real human language, pigs, seas, disease, clouds, axe heads, all of these things are unexplained. Even death itself does not act the way that it is to act. We have a unique and an unrivaled God. There is no one like our God. He does things that are unexplainable, like a bush that gets caught on fire and is unconsumed. Moses sees the bush, he sees the fire, he turns his head, in fact, he even gives a quote there, he says, I I will turn aside and see this great sight, why is this bush not being burned? Moses turns to see it, and when God sees that Moses has turned aside to see the bush, he says, Moses, Moses. Not only is our God unique and unrivaled, but our God is a personal God. This is the first appearance that we have of God. We've seen his name. We've we've seen Moses tell us that God remembered and saw and knew. But this is the first appearance of God on the scene. And in his very first appearance, in this angel of the Lord, fire that does not consume the bush, Moses turns, he sees it, and the very first thing, the very first thing that God does in this story is say, Moses, Moses. He calls him by name. He calls him by name. It's, it's, it's unfathomable that the God who created the universe the God who has been orchestrating all of these things together, the God who's been orchestrating these stories in Exodus chapter one and two, the God who's been doing all of those things, has been controlling every movement, every atom in all of creation. He shows up and says, Moses, Moses. We have a personal God who knows us, who knows us so personally, so intimately, even before we existed, scripture tells us that God knew us. And he knows everything about us. He knows the number of hair on our head. He knows the thoughts that flash through our mind. He knows the moans and the groans that we can't even comprehend God hears them and God knows them. We have a personal, a personal God who knows you intimately. 
God calls out of the bush and says, Moses, Moses, and Moses responds, here I am. Moses is given a personal call and Moses replies with a personal response, here I am. It's the same reply. It's the same reply that Abraham gave when God called to him. The same reply that Isaac gave when God called to him. The same reply that Jacob gave. The same reply that Joseph gave. Here I am. Moses wants the Israelites to remember. But it's also the same reply that Samuel will give. It's also the same reply that Isaiah will give. It's also the same reply that Saul will give in Acts chapter 9. Here I am. We have a personal God who calls us personally and a God who expects us to respond personally. Here I am, Moses replies. God comes directly to him and Moses responds directly to God. Here I am, Moses says. And then from the bush, here's this. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place which you are standing is holy ground. In the midst of all of this, Moses comes in contact with this personal God who gives him this personal call, calling him by name, giving him this personal invitation, but then at the same time gives him this caution. He says, Moses, Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off, for the place you're standing is holy ground. We have a unique and unrivaled God. We have a personal God, but we also have a holy God. God. We have a God who is set apart and perfect in all of his ways. We have a God who is sacred and righteous. We have a God who is sinless and perfect. We have a holy God. And so as God gives this instruction to Moses, he says, Moses, Moses, I, he has a personal relationship. I, I want you to come But at the same time, I want you to know that while we have a personal relationship, there is a difference between you and me. I am holy. And this is holy ground. So don't come any closer. Don't approach. I am different than you are. We have a holy God. And Moses sees that holiness. In fact, it says at the end of of verse 6 that Moses hid his face and he was afraid to look at God. Moses knew. Moses knew that God was holy and Moses knew that he was not. God was perfect and God was sinless and Moses was not perfect and Moses was not sinless. And there was such a disparity between those two that God says, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. We have a holy and perfect God and we are not 
holy, or perfect. We can cry out to God, we can look, we can cry, we can plead, we can pray to God over and over for 40 years, for 80 years, for 400 years because we have a unique and unrivaled God, a personal God. We have a holy God, but we also have a living God. That's what God says to Moses in verse 5 when he says, don't come near, take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place you're staying is holy ground. And he says, I am the Lord I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I am the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. I was the God. I have been the God. I was the one who created the world. I am the one who Breathe life into Adam. I am the God who has been from even before there was time. And I am the God of your father. I am your God. And I think the rest of the idea is that I will be the God. I was around before time existed and I will be around when time ceases to exist. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. In fact, Jesus, when, when he's teaching in, in Matthew chapter 22, he refers back to this verse in Exodus chapter 3 to talk about God being a living God. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus, Jesus says, Jesus answered them, you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor do you know the power of God. As for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Jesus says this, he is not a God of the dead, but a God of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished by his teaching. Jesus himself says, we have a God who is alive. We have a God who is a God, not of the dead, but a God of the living. We have a God, we have a God who is alive. He's alive. And Moses, as he comes to this burning bush, as he gets this personal invitation and yet a caution, a personal invitation to come and a caution to stay back. Hears as God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am a living God. But the best news of all of this, not only is he unique, not only is he a personal God, not only is he a holy God, not only is he a living God, but, but he goes on to say in verse 7 that he is a rescuing and saving God. Then the Lord said in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them up into the land. God says, I am going to rescue 
my people. I have surely seen their afflictions. I have seen their afflictions. I have heard their cries. I know their sufferings, he says here. For years, for 40 years, for 80 years, for 400 years, they have cried out wondering, does God see, does God hear, does God know, does God remember? And here, we see, yes, he does. God does see, God does hear, God does know our sufferings. But it's not just that he sees it and hears it and knows it. If, it'd be one thing, that it would be comforting maybe if God saw and heard and knew. But that's not what he says here. Our God that shows up in Exodus chapter 3, he doesn't just say, I've seen it, I've heard it, I know about it. He says in verse 8, and I have come down to deliver them. He's going to do it here in Exodus through Moses. Moses is the rescuer. Moses is the one who God will use to lead his people. And he even says, he goes on to say, I'm, I'm going to bring them to a good land, a land a broad land, the land of milk and honey. He also says, this is interesting, he says, I'm going to bring them to a place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. There's this land that we're going to bring you to, but, but there's already a lot of people there. There's going to take some work that he's going to command them to do. God doesn't just, though, see and hear and know. He says, I'm coming down to deliver we have a rescuing God, a saving God. He came down to visit with Moses in Exodus chapter 3 to call Moses. But he comes down later in the person of Jesus. We can continue to cry out to our God because he's unrivaled and unique, because he's personal, because he's holy, because he's living, because he's a saving God. We can cry out because he has already come as a rescuer and a redeemer for us. In fact, here in Exodus chapter 3, many scholars would say that the angel of the Lord who appeared there at the very beginning, the angel of the Lord that comes in this burning bush, that the angel of the Lord that shows up in that phrasing in the Old Testament is Jesus it's the person of God that comes in those moments, the pre-incarnate Jesus. But Jesus doesn't just come in Exodus 3, he comes again. While we were still sinners, Jesus comes. And he's unrivaled in what he can do. No one can do what Jesus does. He comes in a personal way where he calls and connects with people in a way that they never expected and they could not understand. Jesus is holy in the way that he lives, perfect and sinless and sin-free and righteous. Jesus is alive. He is God-made man who lives on earth and then is not alive, is dead, and then is alive again and raised back to life. Jesus, 
our rescuer and redeemer is sent to redeem his people, to rescue a people who are enslaved and lost and dead. And God has sent his son so that we might be redeemed. The worship team is gonna come and we're gonna sing together and close this morning. The story of Exodus is a story of God working and redeeming and leading his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, but it's more than that. The God who calls Moses, the God who redeems the Israelites out of slavery, is the God who sends Jesus. Is the God who answers as we call out on the name of Jesus. He is your God and my God. He is our hope as well. The hope of the Israelites as they cried out to God is the same hope that we have this morning. Stand with me as we worship together at the end. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else could make every king bow down? Who else can whisper and darkness trembles? Only a holy God. What other beauty demands such praises? What other splendor outshines? 
this morning comes from Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for coming.